The District is brought to you by Stuff Picks, bringing the best crime, documentary and mystery movies of the big screen to your screen. Just a quick warning, this series contains explicit language. You just want a week or? Oh, just as it comes is fine. Episode 5, More Sleeping Dogs. I'm going to put the tea bag out. Yeah, I'll just leave the tea bag in it, it's alright. It gets better as it goes along. We're with Lynette Stevens at her cottage in the district where she lives with her husband, Roger. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, it's really nice here. Yeah. But, I, you know, Roger, I guess, is very worried because he thinks that these people with big money could get us out of here um, if we've upset too many people. He says, you've got to be careful with you, who you upset. And I said, yeah, well, I know, I know that. But if you just tell the truth... I would rather go down telling the truth than be scared and... For Lynette, it's easy to find conspiracies. For her, they're everywhere she looks, under every stone. She's spent the last seven years obsessing about getting justice for her brother, Murray Christensen, who was killed at work. It's led her elsewhere too, even into the rabbit warren of the crew murder case and Arthur Thomas. One lady I spoke to out in Pukekawa, she says, oh, we knew Arthur was innocent, but we decided to sit on the fence. And I thought, oh, what sort of... Gutless people could do that, honestly. I just can't stand that. Lynette tries to describe to us how she goes about her amateur investigations. But in her case, the easier done than said. You're just following leads, kind of. Almost like skipping along lily pads. (laughs) It is. Like I say, I can't describe how my my mind was working. Maybe it is slowing down a wee bit, but it's still going. In a million different directions. Some of them quite brave. She's even confronted the man who was driving the bulldozer that killed her brother. The man she would later discover was a secret witness in the police case against Arthur Thomas. That man, of course, is Carl Lobb. So what does he tell her? Hello. People want that sleeping dog's life. Yeah, you fucking live like that, eh? You stood out like dog's balls. Right, how are you going? Howdy. Everything's been covered up. This is a Stuff Circuit podcast called The District. A story about injustice, about a murder investigation that goes off the rails, about gossip and whispered accusations, but mostly a story about people, people who are trying to get on with their lives but can't. This story is produced by Toby Longbottom and Paula Penfold, with field recording by Phil Johnson. I'm Eugene Bingham. So you have found out that Carl Lobb has got this involvement in the crew case. Mm-hmm. You, you already know what's happened with Murray's case. Yeah. What do you do? Uh, well, I start ringing around. I rang and rang and rang, and I've rung Carl Lobb about three times. I've rung... Have you ever spoken to him? Yeah, spoken to him three times over the phone. Roger's been on speakerphone. We've heard him. Um, what does he say? Oh, my God. He's really... Strange. I asked him, I said, what did you do to Murray, Carl? Please tell us, you know. Just between us, I said, I just don't need to know. I was really nice to him because I didn't want to, uh, you know, get him upset. I felt that if I talk nicely to people, they might tell me more. 
And he said to me, um, Oh, I know who killed the crews, but better to let sleeping dogs lie. But it wasn't Arthur. Well, Lynette's never afraid to rouse dogs from their slumber. So of course she presses Carl Lobb for more. Yeah, he was very cagey about it. I said, I think you need to just tell the truth, Carl. You know, I just kept pushing that you'll have heart problems if you keep all this inside. You just need to come out and tell everyone what's going on and what's happened in the past. And But, you know, in the court transcripts from the um, way back, he said that he was scared of getting a crowbar around the head. So um, who knows? I think there's been a few people that have been bumped off and at times people have said to me, oh, you're just being ridiculous. But I said, no, I honestly believe Murray might have been asking a few questions about um, what was going on. I honestly believe he would have been nosy. He's like me. Nosy, maybe tenacious. Whatever it is, Lynette carries on her quest to find out more about her brother's death and Carl Lobb. And along the way, she stumbles across some information which had never come to light, not even come to the attention of Des Thomas. Come up and see us. Better than talking over the phone. So Roger and I raced The story of how she came across it can only really be told in Lynette's way by Lynette. No, really free-speaking people, really nice. Basically, it involves her tracking down a couple called Peter, Peter and, Roz Macken, and Roz Macken, who get a visit from the cop who led the crew review, Detective Superintendent Andrew Lovelock. And again, it's all about a gun. They had told me about the gun over the phone. How it happened was the Mackens had a party some years ago, just after the crew review started. I think it was just so in... 2010, yeah, 2010. in the beginning of 2010. They had a party, and at that party... ...was a woman who somehow knew Andy Lovelock. She said to the Mackins, Oh, would you... Because Mackin was going on about this gun, saying, Oh, God, it could have been the one that killed the crews, and laughing about it, and afterwards he said he shouldn't have done that. So this woman at the party says, Oh, do you mind if I tell um, Andy Lovelock about this gun? So she did. And next thing, he raced up there in this big black SUV. This is how they described it. Parked across the driveway. Now I can envisage it because we've been there. He took the gun and, as far as they know, never mentioned it again. And And it's not mentioned in the review, is it? No, it's not mentioned. So according to Lynette, Andy Lovelock picks up a gun from the Mackins. It's another twenty-two, the same kind of firearm which killed the crews. And get this, according to what Lynette is told, it traces back to someone very close to the crews. It turns out Peter Mackin worked for people who farmed in the district at the time of the murders. And Lynette's been told Peter was given the gun by one of those people and asked to get, get it, out it out of the, the district. district. And they said it belonged to Len Demler's aunt. I specifically remember her saying Len Demler's aunt, so does Roger. And, and they've kept it at their house. They moved over to Whitford, I think. Remember, Len Demler was Jeanette Crewe's father and for a while was the main police suspect until the tension switched to Arthur Thomas. And the Mackins did. They got, yep. it, they got it out of the yep. district. They got it out of the district and, and he it, feels bad about that. Okay. Because at the time, the police were trying to get their hands on yeah. guns to test to see right. if there was any connection yeah. with the... Um, I know. I've read the review well, and I was just absolutely shocked to see all these other little stories about so many things, yet they missed that one thing that could have been quite important for the New Zealand public to hear that, I yeah. believe. So it's got this connection to Len Demler as well, who was the first suspect. I know, that's right. So you must have been 
Oh, look, I, I just couldn't believe it. And, and it does seem extraordinary. So here's a gun linked to Len Demler. You'd think it would be significant in the police review, but it's not mentioned at all. Why not? Where is it now? G'day. The Three Stooges. It's us again. How you going? All right. <clears throat> There's your gun back. What well, did you fix this? <laughs> It'd take a bit of work, wouldn't it? We're at Des Thomas's bringing back that other gun, the knackered one found at Tony Clark's dam. But obviously, we also want to know what he thought when he found out about Lynette's discovery, the Mackin gun. With this Mackin stuff, yep. Lynette Stevens tracked that down, eh? Okay, yep. She, we talk about it once or twice a week. Yeah. She's got a text from Mackin's yep. that's verified yep. that what sort of gun it is and everything. And um, so you know she did. She done. She did all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Now you fellas want a drink? I kind of like the idea of these two injustice campaigners joining forces, chatting over the phone a couple of times a week. Des and Lynette in their old school ways, politely making sure the other gets credit for the work they've done. You shouldn't show that gun to Mackin. Anyway, after hearing from Lynette about the Mackins and the gun, Des rings Peter Mackin himself. And according to Des Thomas, what Mackin says is powerful. He, he told me that um, he saw Len Demler's car. He, he just came out in the open. He saw Len Demler's car yeah. at the cruise every day between the murders and the discovery. Well, now, it's not in the file, is it? Nah, but Lovelock was sat around at his place for three hours. Mackin's house? Yeah, yeah, waiting to get that gun from the gun collector. And, and Lovelock didn't ask him whether he saw anything uh, going on over, yeah. over at the cruise. Yeah. Demler had a red Cortina, uh. so it stood out like dog's balls. Just quickly, uh. Des mentioned a gun collector. That's because the Mackins didn't have a firearms licence, so they'd given the gun to someone who did for safekeeping. But what's this about Peter telling Des he saw Len Demler's red Cortina at the crew farm? What Peter Mackin says has never been said in court. It doesn't appear in any reports. And if it's true, it places the original suspect at the crime scene after the murders, but before he reported it to the police. And it's the same man with an alleged link to the Mackin gun. We get a number for Peter and Ros Mackin. Hello? They no longer live in the district. Oh, hello. Um, is that Ros Mackin? Yes, it is. It's um, Eugene Bingham calling. I'm a journalist from the Stuff News website. Mm. We've spoken to, to Des Thomas, um and to Lynette Stevens, who told us um, about some interactions they had with, with you and Mr Mackin. Yeah, my husband, before you go any further... Ros explains that Peter Mackin has health issues which make it impossible for us to speak to him. He's in the background when she talks to us, but he's not well. But regardless, Ros is genuine about wanting to help us as much as she can, although it's her husband who's involved, not her. He's nearly 80. Yes. Um, but he did, he did, um, he did speak with um, the lady, what's her name? Yes, Lynette, Lynette. Stevens. Mm. Like with her. So where do you mm. figure in it? What are you trying to do? Since the, the, the Lovelock report came out, we've been um, talking to the Thomas family. They continue to be frustrated that there were other aspects of the case that weren't um, uncovered in in the in this report or looked at in this report. Very long ago. It is very t- long time ago, and and so one of those aspects that they've mentioned was this um, five shot point two two rifle 
um, was in the possession of the of the of the family, and that Mr. gave the rifle to your husband and told him to take it away. We've decided to bleep the name of the family for legal reasons and for fairness. That rifle. Now he didn't say. I don't think that was quite. I don't think okay. that was quite it. He wasn't told to take it away. He just okay. gave it to him. Nothing was yep. said. Okay, well, that, that's a very important distinction. So th- those are the sorts of things that I'm trying to clarify. Um, so he, he, he gave, it to her, gave it to your husband, you think, rather than with any kind of nefarious well, suggestion. I, yeah, and, I, and only he can answer of that. Course. And I, he's yeah. not in a position right no. now to do that. No, no, that's, I'm sorry. sorry. It is obviously a difficult situation. But there's one thing Rosmacken is able to say without doubt. They say that that, um, Mr Lovelock came and retrieved the gun from you, well, it was actually held by someone else, but they they came up, he came up and and, and got it. Andy Lovelock came to our house, yes. He did, okay. And he came came and got the gun, which was with a gun collector. Yeah, he went down to the person that Peter had given it because we didn't have a license, so he yeah. gave it to this other person. So Roz confirms Peter Macken had a gun, a twenty-two, given to him by someone he did work for, and that the gun was collected by the officer leading the review. But other than that, we're kind of stuck. We can't find out about the Red Cortina sighting either because we can't speak directly to Peter. It's the problem with talking to people about a crime that's so old. People get sick. People die. People forget. And in that environment, gossip and rumour flourish. Yes. It's funny how life can just sort of become complicated when you don't even, you just least yeah. expect it, you know. It was just... Lynette Stevens' mind is working overtime as usual. I call them the EUOF, the evil underbelly of filth. The way she recounts what people tell her, it's hard to know if Lynette buys what they're saying or not. And if she does... Some of it is quite out there. All those old people that are covering up crimes and they just, you can't beat them, I just don't think. Like what she says one former cop told her. He he said that there's a syndicate of people that are involved in covering this up and there's quite a few of them and it's all really divided later. the district. Yeah, all these years later they're desperately trying to bury it. They do not want it coming out. Who do you think killed the Bruce? <sighs> well... And then she drops a bombshell, passing on what someone else has said. And he kind of whispered to me, he believes that it was Richard Thomas and Buster. But I don't know. I, I Remember, really don't Buster Stuckey is Dez's brother-in-law, and Richard Thomas is Dez's brother. The idea that Buster and Richard could have killed the crews is an extraordinary thing to claim. And even Lynette doesn't really seem to believe it. Towards the end of our conversation, Producer Toby Longbottom tries to clarify what she means. So I'm just trying to understand your kind of feelings around Buster. Because Buster's friends with Des, right? Yeah, that was his brother-in-law. 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 Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, and some people think, as according to what you're saying, that, yeah. that Buster might have been involved. Yeah. So how do you kind of weigh that up with Des's friendship with him? Yeah, it has, it's, I have had a, a few words with him a while ago. With? with Des about it, and he didn't speak to me for about a month. Then he came back, and then he keeps entering Buster's name into the conversation. The, the thing is, I haven't met him face-to-face. I'd really like to meet him. And at one stage at the beginning, Des, because when I first got hold of all these people, I rang Des 
And he was a wee bit cagey about me, you know, he didn't, he must have thought, who the heck is this nosy old tart? But um, when I told, I told Des that I had been worried about Buster because I'd seen these articles and he, was, he just laughed. Well, Des was only 17 at the time. I hate to say this, but if poor Des, I, I've got a lot of time for Des and so has Roger. Roger and I think he's wonderful, Lo love his partner, she's a lovely lady, what she's been through. Um, I just don't think Des could cope with finding out someone in his family might have been keeping secrets, you know. I don't actually think he's um, done it himself, but I honestly wouldn't put it past Carl Lobb. Does that answer the question? It does, yeah. Yeah. It but doesn't. So from what we can figure out, Lynette has been told Buster is involved, but she doesn't really buy it. I'm not blaming Buster, i just like to know. So would we. So we're back at Des's place. As usual, Buster and Margaret are there too. You thought it was one to drink? No, we're okay, we just had one. I've got to say, it's a bit of a burden knowing when in an interview you ask someone if they committed a murder. But I have to ask Buster Stuckey about what Lynette Stevens has heard. There are still rumours swirling around. Lynette told us that people had told her that you'd done it. Mm. There's a lot of rumours floating around and it'll all come out one day. We're keeping a bit quiet, but there's a lot around. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of... We met somebody the other day that was convinced, and it was only to do with a little gossip group that he was in. Time of the crew murders, I was drinking heavy. He wasn't. I mean, I'll, oh, he had when I was younger, I, well, I drank a fair bit of grog and that sort of thing. Yeah, but who doesn't? didn't? Who we didn't? all bloody yeah. did. And he, but he had long hair. But the fact that I became a Christian, I became a Christian because I believe in God. It wasn't because I was guilty or had a conscience on me or anything like that. It was just... A, a part yeah. of our lives, that's where yeah. we went. Yeah. And I'm still a Christian. And, but, but not yeah. being awful or anything, but for people like Lynette to actually exaggerate it too. Like, no, oh, no, no, just to be clear, just to be clear, Lynette wasn't yeah. saying it. She right. was just saying, this is what you know, somebody said. Because there said. were rumours going around and we wanted to shut up about it because <coughs> we wanted to sort of, because sometimes if you just lay low, you know, you can find out exactly where it's all coming yeah. from, you yeah. know. And now I'm more confused than ever. The person who always calmly makes sense out of confusion is Des Thomas. He's dealt with Lynette Stevens for years. He's a lot of time for her and admires how she's been able to dig up so much. But she doesn't know where to finish. She's got Carl Lobb and I don't know how many people in there murdering the crews or, yeah. or Demler uh, yeah. getting them to help him or whatever. Yeah. I said to her, you know, the, the crew house is only so big. Yeah. <laughs> you can't fit all these people in there. <laughs> Hey! <laughs> Just to be clear, there is no evidence against Carl Lobb, Richard Thomas or Buster Stuckey. Remember how the police asked Buster about doing the fencing on the crew's farm? But Ted Tickle confirmed it was he, not Buster, who did that. It's a reminder that as conjecture swirls around the district, it's not always benign. It has real-life consequences for real people, and it stings. I'm not even sure how the whole fencing thing started, but what it led to was Buster being interrogated by the police. They tried to make me make an accusation, make an allegation that where I was, the, asked me a question about where I was on the night of the murders. That's 43 years ago. That's ridiculous. I won't tell you what I told them. I'll just show you what they did to Buster. This is uh, just before the review came out, or when the review came out. He's taken a photograph of Buster in the New Zealand Herald to say that he was a man of interest. But yeah, that came as a shock to be called a person of interest. 
yeah. We looked at the New Zealand Herald and there it was. You know, third page in. Mm -hmm. And really the only thing that I have got to match myself to the murders is that I'm married, happily married, to Arthur's sister. That's the only thing. So 1970s, the murder, and then 2014, yeah. you suddenly come into the picture. Yeah. Do you want me to say anymore? Don't have to, do I? Mm. No, he doesn't. I feel quite sorry for him, partly because every time something this sensitive comes up, he's visibly angry. You can't really blame him. That's what happens when someone gets the wrong end of a stick and the whole thing takes on a life of its own. But what happens when there is tangible evidence? Something the police can actually go and put their hands on? Let's go back to the Macken gun. Even though the senior cop in charge of the whole review drove up north himself, sat at the Macken's house for a couple of hours and picked up this firearm that was once in the district and connected to a main suspect, it's not even mentioned in his review to end all reviews. There's not one word about it in the report. Why the hell not? And where's the gun now? We check with Ros Macken. Have you now got it back or has no. it been returned? You haven't got the gun back or Mr Macken hasn't no, got the gun back. We have, no, 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 no. So the Mackens don't know where the gun has gone. It's like it's disappeared into the ether. And it's not the first time. In July 1973, just as controversy about Arthur Thomas's conviction was growing, police took a whole bunch of evidence to the rubbish dump. Yes, you heard that right. The police took boxes and boxes of controversial evidence used to wrongly convict a man to the dump. To the dump. And then there's the case of the missing checkbook butts. Des and Arthur's father, Alan, was a meticulous record keeper. At the time of the original investigation, police seized all his checkbook butts. When they were handed back, there was precisely one set missing. The set that Alan Thomas says would have been able to prove that Rod Rasmussen, not Arthur, had the stub axles at the time of the murders. Poor my father, poor dad. Uh, Jesus, you know, he used to really, it used to tear him up that those bastards went in there and stole stuff out of his office. There's a photo that Thomas has took of all the checkbook butts laid out in a row. And sure enough, it shows one set missing. The only one of any value. It's another crazy twist in this case. Sinister, suspicious as all get out, unbelievable, but all true. And it feeds Des Thomas's exasperation with the police. I told Lovelock that he's waiting for me to either get uh, to die or get hit by a bus. That's what he's waiting for. And they are. That, that's, that, see, the police will be here in a hundred years' time. We won't be. So they're just waiting for everything to go away, for nobody to care. Yeah, yeah. But, but in the meantime, a brutal murderer, they're protecting a brutal murderer. And while we're talking of missing evidence, the thing that really, really just floors me is the missing fingerprints. At the time of the original investigation, there were 25 sets of fingerprints from the crew house that could not be identified. So fingerprints that didn't belong to the crews themselves or the main suspects like Len Demler or Arthur Thomas. Fingerprints have gone. The clear implication is that these fingerprints could very well belong to the unidentified killer or whoever fed Rochelle, right? But they're gone too, vanished. Years ago, they reckon they can't find them, but then you talk to other police and they reckon that that the uh, fingerprints are never destroyed, which they wouldn't be. Well, why would they be? That's just weird. Just to be clear, these fingerprints were not among the pile of exhibits taken to the dump, so they've disappeared at some other stage. So the fact that they're missing is kind of mysterious. Yeah. Yeah, well, just another mysterious thing. I'm going to say understated things there. 
It's far more than mysterious. It stinks. It's woeful. How does it even happen? Especially in one of the most high-profile unsolved murders New Zealand has ever seen. So from the missing to the found. Remember we told you the police weren't interested in that gun from Tony Clark's dam? Well, we decided to do some investigation of our own. And I hope you're still strapped in for that roller coaster ride. We're heading for a loop-de-loop. That's next time on The District. The District is a Stuff Circuit podcast series. Written and produced by Toby Longbottom, Paula Penfold and me. Toby also edits the series. Phil Johnson and I recorded the sound. Blame me for the dodgier bits. The final sound mix was provided by David Liversidge at Radiate Sound. Archival sound recordings from the RNZ collection at Nga Taonga Sound and Vision. And now music is from Audio Network. Mark Stevens, Patrick Crudson and Keith Lynch are the executive producers. We had digital help from Suyun Son and Alex Liu. You can find out more about the podcast series and the characters in this story over at stuff.co.nz. Have a look at the website where you can find extras, including some wonderful archival photographs. Oh yeah, and some recipes. We spent so much time in farmhouse kitchens, we thought we should share the love. I'm Eugene Bingham. Thanks for listening. Hooked on Crime and Mystery? The best crime, documentary and mystery movies are ready to watch tonight at Stuff Picks. Go to stuffpicks.co.nz today to rent the latest blockbusters and new releases for just $6.95 with no subscription fees. Thanks for listening to The District. We're giving Stuff members access to bonus episodes of the podcast. Go to stuff.co.nz and log in and we'll tell you what to do next.